0: You guys ready? You don't don't look ready. I've promised a few of you that this is going to be incredibly long. So let's see if I I can not keep that promise. We've been making our way through a series on the Apostles' Creed, as Rich just mentioned. And last week we talked about the person and the work of the Holy Spirit, who is as much God as the Father Almighty is God, and as much God as Jesus the Son is God. We identify that just as Jesus lived under the power and the direction of the Holy Spirit during his ministry here on earth, we too are to devote ourselves to the leading of the Spirit in our lives and his guidance and his strength. We saw how the Holy Spirit comes to bless the church by revealing the truth of Scripture and how it points us to Jesus, and it also, the Holy Spirit also comes to convict us of our sin. And it is through the Spirit we can stand firm in the face of suffering and despair. This morning, we're going to continue looking at the work of the Holy Spirit. And as I mentioned last week, the rest of the creeds pretty much zero in on how the Spirit is at work in the life of the believers and the blessings being poured out on us and through us. But today, we've come to a part of the creed that has the potential of rubbing people the wrong way. Today, we are looking at the part of the creed that says, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints. My father, who's not here this morning, so I can tell the story, just kidding, I got his permission. My father, a retired missionary of 45 years, a disciple of Jesus Christ since the age of six, admitted to me that in his youth, when it came time to reciting the creed in Sunday school, he would remain silent at that part. To be fair, I hardly think that he was the only one remaining silent in his Sunday school. And if you're here today wondering, well, what does all that mean? What does, why do we recite that? What do we believe about the church? What do we believe about the communion of saints? If you have questions about that, my goal, my hope today is that by the end of this message, you will see that those lines are meant to point us at our beautiful unity in Christ. That we don't have to remain silent, and that we have an amazing heritage through the Holy Spirit. We, the church, glorify God by our unity, just as the Spirit unites us to Christ. Our text today is from Ephesians, and actually we'll be in Ephesians a lot today, so you can just kind of keep your finger there. We're going to be reading from chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. And here at Timberline, we stand when we read God's Word Because we believe it comes with his full authority, and it is inspired by the Spirit. So I'd invite you to stand as we read this together. Well, I'm going to read it. You can read it silently to yourself. Ephesians chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh, called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands, grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you inspired it through the Holy Spirit and that we have it today to bless us and encourage us and direct us and reveal Jesus to us. Father, right now I ask that you would bless our time as we look at this text and we look at what it means to be united together as one body in Christ. Father, I pray that you would remove any distractions or any presuppositions we might have and just give us ears to hear what your Holy Spirit would have us understand and learn today. I pray that you would speak through me and my meager attempts to, to convey the truth of your word, Father, I'm utterly reliant on your spirit in this text. We thank you that you will accomplish your will even through our limitations. In Jesus' name, amen. We begin our understanding of this passage and this part of the creed with a call to remember. Paul just finished saying Several verses before this, that we have been saved by grace, through faith, not by works, not of anything that we did, so that no one can boast, but rather we have been saved in order to be God's workmanship, transformed into the image of Jesus Christ to do good works. That's why we have a therefore at the beginning of our passage. We have been saved through faith. For God's work, therefore, we need to remember. Okay, remember what? The first thing we need to remember is who we were, what our status was before Christ. Paul said, remember at one time you were separated from Christ, scattered and alienated from all the blessings promised to the nation of Israel. You were outside the covenant promises. Without hope, and without God. In Ephesians 2, 1-3, Paul says that you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you once walked. Following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and we were by nature, by nature, children of wrath like the rest of mankind it's not that it's not that you were being ignored by god before christ it's not that what you said and did didn't matter before you came to salvation quite the opposite actually before christ you were an enemy of god you served the spirit of the power of the air, the force that has temporary dominion over our world, which is Satan. Before God's mercies sought you out, whether you knew it or not, you belonged to, were a citizen of, the kingdom of Satan. That's who we were before. Colossians two thirteen says that we were dead in our trespasses, just like in Ephesians 2. And in Romans 1.18, Paul wrote that the wrath of God is being revealed on, from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Who is truth? We talked about this last week. We talked about how Jesus says that he is the way, the truth, And the life. But then we also talked about how the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of truth. He's come to reveal and show us what is correct, what is right, what is true. All of rebellious humanity is suppressing Jesus and the Holy Spirit with their unrighteousness, which you used to do as well. So, what do we need to remember first? Jesus said in John eight thirty four that anyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. We need to start by remembering who and what we were before Christ. We were spiritually dead. We were enemies of God. We were disobedient children of wrath, slaves to our sins, slaves to the spiritual darkness in this world, and under the righteous condemnation of the perfect, holy, almighty God. This remembering is meant to draw us to a place of mindful humility, which is also the starting point for any kind of relationship in community. But we'll get to that in a bit. This remembering is supposed to draw us into humility. And while this humility needs to become a lifestyle, we have more to remember. What else do we need to remember? Well, in verse 13, in our text, Paul writes that you were once separated because of your sins. But now, we have the good news, but now, in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. You who were once scattered have now been gathered and brought near. And more than just brought near, because in John 1.12, John writes that to those To those who belong to Jesus, God Almighty has given them the right to be called sons and daughters of God. And in 1 Peter 2.9, we are called a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. This is who you are in Christ Jesus if he is your Lord. So as we approach this part of the creed, remember who you were And remember who you are now. You were a slave to sin. You were a child of wrath. But now your sins are redeemed and you are a child of God. We have to start with remembering because this remembering points us, pushes us towards humility. So, what does it mean when we say we believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints? We're going to split up these two phrases, and we're going to see how the first phrase, basically stating, I believe in the Holy Catholic Church, is meant to show our unity to Christ. The second phrase, I believe in the communion of saints, will show our unity in Christ. So, let's start with the first phrase. I believe in the Holy Catholic Church. Well, let's break this down by words. The word holy and Catholic are adjectives, not proper nouns, not to be capitalized. They're adjectives for the word church, okay? So let's let's define these words a little bit. Holy means to be set apart for and completely devoted to God. God is holy, which means God is completely devoted to himself. And that's not some kind of self-absorbed self-centered understanding that's 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 our man brain trying to understand that god is independent which means he needs nothing he relies upon no one and he is completely and utterly devoted to his will which means we too are called to be holy so we are to be set apart for god which means we are to be devoted to his will to his righteousness And we are to put on the nature of Christ Jesus. Paul begins his letter to the Ephesians by writing, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world. Why? That we should be holy and blameless before him. The entire book of Leviticus which is everyone's favorite bedtime reading, I know. The entire book of Leviticus is dedicated to showing the Israelites what it means to live a holy life. But the point and the purpose of the law is still applicable today. What was the point? What's the purpose? Leviticus 11.44 says, I am the Lord your God. Consecrate yourselves before me and be holy, for I am holy. We are called to be holy. We are called to be set apart, devoted to God, because we were created to be image bearers of this God. So when you read the word holy in the creed, right off the bat, you need to understand this means you are called to be distinct from the rest of sinful human nature, from the rest of the sinful world, and that distinction is your total devotion to God. Then we come to the word Catholic. For over a millennia, there existed one church, the Roman Catholic Church. And this church continues to use this adjective as part of its name. But remember, the context of the creed, this is still an adjective. It is not a proper noun. And not to be confused with the Roman Catholic Church. Catholic as an adjective, means comprehensive or universal, especially as it pertains to common sympathies and interests. So it makes sense that the church, for most of its history, was called the Catholic Church because it was one, it was common, it was the same. Today, there are anywhere between 45,000 and 50,000 denominations worldwide. Think about that for a second. But the creed reminds us that even if we have denominational distinctions, even if we have organizational distinctions, the creed, the word Catholic here, is meant to draw us together in what we have in common. And what do we have in common? What we have in common is is that our Jesus is going to come back, and he's not going to rescue 50,000 brides. He's going to rescue one bride. The fullness of those who have been sealed before the foundation of the world. That's what that word is for. In Acts 4.32, we learn about the early church. And we learn that the full number of those who believe were of one heart and soul. And that no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own. But they had what? They had everything in common. In this verse, we learn that the early church was Catholic. Catholic meaning they comprehensively had common goals, common affinity, common interests, which was to glorify their Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 1, Paul writes that in the fullness of time, God the Father sent the Son to unite all things to him, things in heaven and things on earth. If you are a child of God, if Jesus Christ is your Savior, then you are part of a distinctive comprehensive group of people that exists beyond borders beyond race beyond nationality with common interests if you have been united to Christ you have all things in common with all believers everywhere on earth right now and those things in common is a very long list but essentially it's your calling meaning God called you out of darkness and into light, and also your purpose. So when you recite the Creed and read holy and Catholic, keep in mind that this means the comprehensive collection of those who are devoted to God, the sum total of everyone united to Christ right now. It means you are part of something bigger than yourself. It means you have everything in common with every other believer. And both of these words, holy and Catholic, point towards the idea of the church. So what is the church? Well, in the context of the creed, we're obviously not talking about a building. We're not talking about a denomination. So what are we talking about? In Ephesians 1.20, we read that the Father has exalted Jesus far above all rule and authority, that Jesus is ultimate. And in verse 22, we read that the Father has put all things under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is the body of Christ, the fullness of Jesus who fills all and is in all. Just like those passages about Catholic, we read about in Acts, we read here this idea of fullness, of completion. The fullness of time, their full number. But that fullness is only realized through Jesus himself. To believe otherwise, ooh, this is kind of important. To believe otherwise is to divide up the body of Christ. When our text today says that Jesus came to unite, to bring bring, bring peace between divisions, to make us one body. The church, then, is the full body of Christ. So if you are united to Christ, you are part of the body of Christ, which is the church. The church is the manifestation of the kingdom of heaven here on earth as it fulfills its God-given purpose. So in essence, when you recite this part of the creed, you are saying you believe in the devoted, like-minded existence of those who are united to Christ. It, may, it means you believe the church is Christ-centered, Christ-initiated, and Christ-authorized in its mission, which is what? To declare the excellencies of him who called us out of darkness and into light. But what does it mean to be united to Christ? Christ. Scripture shows us that this includes blessings and hardship. This is where reality sets in here. 2 Timothy 3 says that anyone who wants to live a godly life will face persecution. In John 15, Jesus says, The world will hate you because they hated me first. In Luke 14, we are told to count the cost of following Jesus. Why? Because the cross was a death sentence. And I don't mean that metaphorically. Because there are many places in this world right now where putting on the name of Jesus is a literal death sentence. 1 Peter 2.21 says, We have been called to suffer unjustly, just as Jesus did, but he did not sin. And we are called to do likewise. But all of this hardship pales in significance when compared to the incomparable riches and promises and blessings that we have in Christ. Because of our allegiance to Christ, in 1 Corinthians 6:17, Paul wrote, "Whoever is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him," meaning the very presence of God in you. If you belong to Christ, then the same Holy Spirit that empowered Jesus through his ministry is the same Holy Spirit in you today. In Ephesians 1.5, our union to Christ means we are adopted as sons and daughters into the family of God. We are co-heirs with Christ, which means we will share in his glory someday. In 2 Corinthians 5, we learn that being united to Christ means our transformation into a new creation. And this newness is the image of Christ being born through us. Romans 6.3 asks the question, do you not know that all of us have been baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into his death? We who were buried, therefore with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. Your unity to Christ means that you have been sealed for salvation like we read about in Revelation 7. When you say you believe in the Holy Catholic Church, it includes everything we've just gone over. It means you believe what it says in Ephesians 4.4 4, when Paul wrote, there is one body and one spirit. Just as you are called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. It means you believe you will face adversity. It means you believe you will suffer. It means you believe you have been set apart for God's own special plan. It means you are part, it means you believe you are part of a body greater than just yourself and that you have things in common with this body. So if you believe these things, take a moment and reflect on the beauty of the unity that we have to Christ. We don't have to remain silent when we recite this. We have a clear understanding of what the words mean. We have a clear understanding of the uniqueness of our relationship with God. And so we can freely declare that with joy. If you have been united to Christ, if you have acknowledged Him as your King and your Lord, then you are also part of the communion of saints. It means you will experience our unity in Christ. So, what does that mean? If we're going to understand the communion of saints, we need to start with a proper understanding of the word saint. Philip Ryken wrote, Sainthood is is not a lifetime achievement award for martyrs, evangelists, and prayer warriors. Saints are not members of a spiritual hall of fame. A saint is nothing more and nothing less than an ordinary Christian. This is why it was common in New Testament times and long afterwards for Christians to call each other saints, no matter how unspiritual they may have seemed. Paul addresses his letters to the saints, meaning the believers who will read and receive the message, not reserved to a select few, but anyone in that body. If you are a disciple of Jesus Christ, meaning you have been united to Christ in his death and resurrection, guess what? You're a saint. whole bunch of saints in here. It's weird, huh? That's what it means, though. The word saint literally means holy ones or godly ones, which means this line in the creed is referring to whom? Everyone who is devoted to God. According to German reformer Zacharias Horsinias, A saint is anyone who has been imputed or given righteousness from Christ and has been set apart or is separated from the rest of humanity because of the calling of God upon his or her life to truly know and worship God. By that definition, we know that there were saints in the Old Testament. Read Hebrews. There's a list. Those to whom righteousness was credited to them because they looked forward to the coming of the Messiah. So, while the, the Holy Catholic Church in the Creed is specifically referencing the body of Christ as it is living and breathing now, the communion of saints enc- encompasses all past, present, and future saints until Jesus returns. So, what's the purpose of that? What, is, what does that mean? Well, the idea of of holy ones points us to the promise of the new heavens and the new earth where we will all the saints be together. The full number of saints, everyone who belongs to the Lord, will gather together and worship God. Once you understand that definition, go back through your Bible and pick out all the times where it says holy ones or godly ones. Every time it says that, it's talking about a saint, And once you start seeing that pattern, you will see this beautiful unity all over the Bible. In his first letter to the church in Corinth, Paul addresses the church as, quote, Those sanctified in Christ Jesus, called to be saints together with all those who in every place call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Did you guys catch all that unity wording in there? Called to be saints how? Together. With whom? With all those who call upon the Lord. Where? In every place. If this verse doesn't make it clear, I'm not sure I can describe it any better, guys. That is what the communion of saints is. Those who have everything in common. Hopefully, now that we have an understanding of communion... Sorry, now that we have an understanding of saints, let's talk about communion. German Reformed theologian Johann Heidegger defined the communion of saints as the union, society and assembly of all believers who have something in common with each other. So the question is, what do the saints have in common? Well, almost everything, or at least everything that truly matters, at least everything that has eternal significance and consequence. How about this definition from Reichen? I like this one. The communion of saints is the living fellowship of all true believers who are united in love by their union with Christ and have spiritual communion with one another as they share in corporate worship, spiritual gifts, Christian graces, material goods, and mutual edification. See, without the unity to Christ whereby we are gifted with the Holy Spirit as he transforms us into the image of Christ, we cannot experience the communion of the saints because this communion is marked by love. In John 13, Jesus says that the world will know that we are his disciples because of how we love each other. But it's really hard to love some people, isn't it? Especially on our own strength. Which is why this beautiful union can only be experienced through the work of the Holy Spirit, expressed as the fruit of the Spirit we read about in Galatians 5. So what does this look like? We're going to read 1 Corinthians chapter 12 now. Just kidding. Go home and read it. It's a long chapter. But seriously, you have homework. When you get home, you're going to be tired, you're going to be hungry, you're going to eat lunch, and you're going to want to take a nap. Before your nap, read First Corinthians chapter 12. There you will see that there are many ways to serve, but only one Spirit. All service is to be done for the common good. The Spirit empowers and bestows gifts as He wills, not as we try to force. We are one body in Christ. Each piece of the body is vital, and there are no second-class citizens in God's kingdom. Each piece, each saint is indispensable. It says that. It uses that word. I didn't make up that word. It actually uses the word indispensable. Every member. There shouldn't be any divisions within this body. If one saint suffers, the whole body suffers. If one saint rejoices, the whole body celebrates. That's what unity through the Spirit, unity in Christ, looks like. We are called to celebrate this unity, our bond, our common interests, our common goals, our common purpose. Psalm 133 says it beautifully. It says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like precious oil on the head, running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collar of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. For there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. If you are in Christ, you are family to everyone else in Christ For we are God's children, adopted into his family with Christ as the head. How good and pleasant it is when the family gets along. Why? Because it's a picture of eternity. This psalm referencing Aaron and oil is supposed to point us to the greater high priest, Jesus, who is blessed and pleased when his family is united. To Him, it's like being anointed with precious oil so that it overflows and just goes all over the place. Our God is glorified by our unity. But this unity flies in the face of our sinful humanity. The sins of others often disrupts the communion of the saints. Another obstacle is our American cultural identity that for centuries embraces individualism. When French statesman Alexis something, I can't pronounce, it's French. You're just going to have to trust me on that. When this statesman visited the United States in the 1830s, he observed that Americans, quote, owe nothing to any man, they expect nothing from any man they acquire the habit of always considering themselves as standing alone. And they are apt to imagine that their whole destiny is in their hands. This attitude throws the Americans back forever upon himself alone and threatens in the end to confine him entirely within the solitude of his own heart. According to Reichen, The pride of individualism has infected the American church, and it has for centuries, and it continues to this day. We doubt the necessity of active involvement in a living church. We substitute the communion with living, breathing saints for a podcast or a recording. We rely on Christian radio for our corporate worship. We treat churches like leased vehicles, exchanging them every couple of years. This, this ideology, this, this division, this pride of individualism, it tears at the heart of God. Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians 1.10, I appeal to you, brothers. Read that as I beg you. It's the same thing. I appeal to you, brothers. I beg you, brothers, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you be united in the same mind and the same judgment. Why? Because if you are united to Christ and in Christ, then you, as the communion of the saints, are a collective construction project with Jesus himself at the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure this is from our text, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In Him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. And this temple, this temple is, is, the, is the image of eternity, of our eternity in the presence of God. Together as one body, one bride, Forever. This unity, without, this, this unity is impossible. is impossible without the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in us, binding us together. All of this work is done by the Spirit. The sin gets in the way, right? Our flesh gets in the way. Our pride and love of the darkness gets in the way. So what are we to do? If you're a human, you struggle with Sin. Anybody in here struggle with sin? A lot of aliens in here. (laughs) Need a few more humans in here. What are we to do? Well, guess what? We're back at the beginning. This is why it's going to take so long. We're going to go all the way back again and make a circle. Just kidding. What are we to do? Remember. Remember who you once were. Let that remembering bring you to a state of humility. Let it bring you down to your knees as you confess and you repent and you cry out to God for His Spirit to unify you with the body. Let it drive you to your knees as you cry out in thankfulness for His infinite mercies. But let it also unite you to your brothers and sisters in Christ, for they were just like you. They were once in darkness, but God, who is rich in mercy, called them out of darkness and brought them into light. Then remember who you are now. Remember that you are a holy, redeemed, chosen child of the God Most High. Remember that, you're very pres- that, that the very presence of the Holy Spirit of God dwells inside of you, pointing you towards Jesus, revealing your sin. Remember that you are no better off than anyone else in the family because any righteousness that you have any righteousness that you have is a gift from God you didn't acquire it you didn't earn it it's all from him romans 12:3 says for by the grace given to me i say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think But to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same functions, so we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. You cannot deny being individually members of one another if you are in christ which means isolation and individualism from the rest of the body is not only a bad idea it's sin it's rebellion in your heart colossians 3 12 says put on then as god's chosen ones holy and beloved put on compassionate hearts kindness humility meekness and patience, bearing with one another. And if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other. As the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. And above all of these, put on love, which binds everything together in perfect harmony. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which, indeed, you were called in one body. You guys, you guys catching this? Over and over and over. You cannot read the Bible without catching these themes. Paul ends this section with, oh, and be thankful. I love how Paul just throws that in there at the end. Be thankful. That comes from remembering. Which comes from a lifestyle of humility and gratitude. If you are united to Christ, you are also united in Christ, which means you are not alone. It means you are part of one body, one church. Do you know this? Have you acknowledged your need for communion with other saints? Or do you find yourself having nothing in common with any other believers? If so, you might want to take a moment and examine your heart and make sure it's united to Christ. If you believe you only have to come to church when it's convenient for you, you might want to examine, if you truly understand, your, the Holy Spirit-given need for fellowship, your indispensability to the body. If you believe you can get by without joining in the Spirit together with the saints in worship, you might want to remember that that's how you're going to spend eternity. So if you're not doing it now, you might want to check your heart. If you believe your sins and your suffering is your business only, ooh, this is a hard one. If you believe your sin and your suffering is your business only, and you can take care of it yourself, on your own, without anybody's help, you might want to ask yourself if you really believe you're part of the one body of Christ, the church. For when one suffers, we suffer. When one celebrates, we celebrate. So if you're perfect already, by all means, stay home. But if you're not, which I suspect is true of everyone on this planet, then you need to be Sounds like communion of saints to me. Remember who you were when you lived in darkness. Remember who you are now. Remember you are united to Christ. Remember that you are united in Christ. If you believe this, you believe in our beautiful unity. It means you believe in the Holy Catholic Church and the communion of saints which is why it's part of the creed. It all comes from scripture. Our God is glorified when we exercise and declare this unity as one body. It's like precious oil being anointed on the, the head of the, the most high priest and it's overflowing and, and he delights in our unity. He receives the glory because our unity means His temple is being built. We, the church, glorify God by our unity, just as the Spirit unites us to Christ. It's why we do this. It's why we practice communion. It's why we do this every single week. Communion literally means, what do we have in common? Let's remember what we have in common. What do we have in common? One faith, one baptism, one God. We remember that Jesus came as a man to live and die, and that his death was all that was necessary for us to acquire salvation. His death was sufficient, and we remember the promise of a resurrection and a hope and a future. And we, we remember that Jesus says, I will not partake of this meal again until all the fullness of the body is together again for all of eternity. Remember, that's why we do this. We have this in common. I'm going to invite the, the ushers up in just a moment, but first I'm going to pray. And as and as I pray, I would ask you, I would implore you, I would beg you, as Paul says, I appeal to you, brothers and sisters, if there's any division, if there's any doubt in your mind as to what body you belong to, if there's any doubt in your mind as to which kingdom you are currently serving, reconcile that now. We have a blessed hope. We have a blessed fellowship. It was designed by God, and it's beautiful.